Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. X29 treasures the beautiful diversity of the people of God. We're united in Christ and called out to live from that unity. So how do we move forward in humble love and respect for one another? Well, Jerome Gay joins me on the X29 podcast today to discuss his book, The Whitewashing of Christianity. Jerome is the founding and lead pastor of Vision Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Jerome also serves on the board of Thriving, which is an urban resource collective that equips and trains urban ministry practitioners. He's also the founder and president of The Urban Perspective, and he's married to Crystal, and they have two kids. Well, Jerome, welcome to the X29 podcast. Jeff, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. So let's let's get started with a, a nice introduction to, to you. For I know you've been around X29 for a while, but maybe some of our newer guys aren't, aren't familiar with who you are, or maybe people around the world in Australia or whatever. So why don't you tell us how you became a Christian and really what drew you to church planting? Certainly. So the Lord drew me to himself uh, in an interesting way. He he actually used my dad, who wasn't a frequent churchgoer at all. He uh, he didn't go. Um, he, he battled uh, substance abuse and would often uh, force my mom and I to go. And so uh, we moved around a lot. We moved from Kansas. I'm from Washington, D.C., but we moved to Kansas because he was in the military. Okay. We ended up moving back to D.C., then we moved to Capitol Heights, Maryland, and we lived right across the street from a, a grocery store that ended up being converted to a church. And my dad would really encourage my mom and I to go while he'd be out doing his thing. He wouldn't go. And so I was extremely frustrated at the time. I remember literally uh, looking up to the sky, just being angry with God because of our situation, frequently moving, my dad being in and out. Uh, but interesting, interestingly enough, in God's providence, he used my dad who forced us to go to this church. And that's where I heard the gospel. And so mm -hmm. the uh, pastor, uh, it used to be a Safeway grocery store. And the pastor would cornerly say, oh, now it's the real Safeway. But uh, <laughs> on this on this particular this particular Sunday, man, he was preaching the gospel. Uh, I heard it in my seat. I was 13 at the time and uh, in tears. And it was a traditional altar call. Wow. Where they call you up front. I went up front, man, and I, I trusted Christ. And uh, he had whispered in my ear after. And again, keep in mind, this is a 13 year old. So my theology at the time was I come up here to get Jesus, then go right. sit back in my seat like that. That was my theology yeah. at that time. Uh, but he whispered in my ear, preach a man. And I'm like, nah, I can't be to get Jesus and sit back down. <laughs> I didn't come here for any prophecies about me pastoring. Uh, but obviously he was right. <laughs> you know, he was right about that. But that is how the Lord uh, drew me to himself. Uh, fast forward. After that, man, three years later, so from 13, now I'm 16, I felt this calling to come to North Carolina and plant a church. And wow. keep in mind, I'm 16. I don't know what this looks like. Um, I had applied to several schools, Syracuse, applied to UMBC in Maryland, all these different schools, got accepted to many of them. Uh, the only school I applied to in North Carolina was St. Augustine's University. Uh, it, was a, it was a university, now it was college at the time. And uh, so I wrestled with that because I had these other offer letters. But I was like, man, I, I feel this call to ministry. So I guess I got to take this one. Wow. And so I went there and immediately started a Bible study. Uh, eventually that turned into us merging with a church and I pastored with a guy for several years. Uh, but it was from that when I really began to seek relationships. And I saw Dr. Eric Mason being interviewed by Scott Thomas at the time. That's how far I go back. Scott okay, Thomas yeah. was the director of Acts 29. 
And I'm like, man, this guy, he's from D.C. I'm from D.C. It's something, something about people from D.C. So I'm like, man, I got to know this dude. And uh, he ended up preaching at a conference with John Piper in Durham uh, called the Advanced, Advanced the Church. I think this was the first Advanced the Church, I think. Yeah, I and I that. went. I went after, and I I met him, and he began to mentor me. He's still a mentor. I consider him a spiritual pops, and uh, that that sealed the deal for me to want to be a part of Acts twenty nine, to want to be a church that plants churches, and to be a disciple making disciple church. Yeah, man, what a great, what a great story. And and so, how old is the church now? Ten Vision years. Church. Ten, ten years old, man. Years. Yeah, ten lots, years old, man. Lots of ups and downs. I'm Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Um, and I'll just give you a second to point out any evidences of any evidences of God's grace that you just want to share to encourage listeners that you've seen in 10 years. Man, I tell people, if you count your blessings, you lose count because you, you have more. <laughs> so I, I'll just go through a few, man. I yeah. think, number one, a, a blessing that the doors are still open, man. I mean, and, and especially in times right now, you know, in a pandemic and not everyone can say that. And this isn't to slight them because I, I believe God opens yeah, and he closes yeah. doors in his divine providence. But obviously for us, we want to celebrate the fact that our doors are still open, man. We, we, uh, we've been able to help out tons of church plants. We planted several churches, but we planted a church in Navrongo, Ghana, Hope Community Church mm. during the pandemic. Wow. You know, during the pandemic, the Lord blessed us to be able to do that. We were able to purchase two plots of land, one for for the uh, church and then one for them to build a school for children with special needs over there in Ghana. We have this vision of wanting to see 100 uh, black or brown missionaries in the next uh, 10 years because there are not a lot of people of color going to the mission field. And we want to do something about mm. that. So God has given us a heart for that. And so we didn't know how that was going to happen. And the Lord literally had this guy named Lloyd Chin of World Venture reach out to us about a couple that's in Winston-Salem that's going to Africa. And we had prayed. We wanted our first global church plant to be in Africa. And just the way the Lord worked that out and for us to plant in the, in the midst of that man. And so it's been a ton of things God has, God has done and is doing. We, we added some elders last year, adding a couple more this year. And uh, we've still been able to serve our community even in the midst of everything that's going on. And so, like I said, man, I can keep going, but uh, I know we, I know we got a time limit, but yeah, God, <laughs> God is good. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, well, God is good. You, you've written a book called The Whitewashing of Christianity. Yes. The subtitle is A Hidden Past, A Hurtful Present. There it is. Holding it up. Thank you, brother. For those that will see, yeah. That's it, yeah. I'll, if we post this on, on YouTube, or you'll be able to check out the cover. And you can find it on Amazon as, yeah. as well. A Hidden Past, A Hurtful Present, and A Hopeful Future. Yeah. So what led you to, to write this book? And really, what is the book about? And also, I think, what is it not about? I think those are... Oh, two helpful things to to ask. And man, to Jeff, how to. much time we got, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, no, man. So what what led me to write this book was lostness. Um, one of the things I say in the book is that people are making an eternal decision to reject Yeshua based on misinformation that's been presented as fact. And so when we talk about whitewashing, what I'm talking about is the affinity of white Christian scholars historically 
to present Christian history, literature, art, biblical figures at, as white at the expense of authentic diversities, uh, at the expense of authentic diversity to to really link more with their listeners and their presuppositions and worldviews. As a result of this, you know, people of color on the outside that have yet to put saving faith in Christ see the Christian faith as a monolithic religion. The mishandling of slavery as it relates to exegeting Ephesians six and how how that was done in the past and even how that's done. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the eisegesis of it um, is leading people to think that Christianity is a monolithic religion, primarily that benefits one group of people, namely white people, and that it is a religion of oppression. Now, as a believer, I know this is not true. But it's important for us as believers not to assume what non-believers see and think about our faith. Yeah, that's right. And so so there's this evangelistic tent to the book where I'm explaining things because I want people not to reject Christ because they see it as a white man's religion, a religion of oppression, a religion that that promotes chattel slavery, that promotes the transatlantic slave trade as somehow uh, uh, God wanted that to happen. And so it's, it's so important that we dig in. And so I define whitewashing. I address how, what it is. I look at why I, I, I kind of chronicle historically, how did we get to this point? How did we get to this point in the West? Cause it's an Eastern religion. Most of yeah. these people are Middle Eastern and African, but, but why, what, what happened? What, what was the tactics used to paint this Middle Eastern African religion as a white religion and painting Jesus and all of the people in scripture is white, yeah. and then how that affects us. And so I wanted to confront that. I also want to address the, the, the nomenclature. It's not a sin. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And I say, yeah, I agree. But sin has names. That's why we have commandments that are That's naming right. specific sins. And, and when you show partiality in your imagery, when you show partiality in in who you herald as great homiletically and hermeneutically and you paint all of the African Christian fathers and mothers as white, yeah. you are misrepresenting the Christian faith. And so you we must realize that people on the outside who have yet to join our family that we want to join in, we are literally creating unnecessary barrier that is keeping them from hearing this gospel. And and so I wanted to legitimize their concerns that, yes, Christianity has been whitewashed. It has been painted as white. That is false. That's a lie. But I want to disagree with their con- their conclusions, which has been to reject Christ as a result of it. Yeah. And so this is an evangelistic evangelistic work. What this is not. And I say this in the book. The answer to whitewashing isn't blackwashing. So this is not a book to where, oh, hey, we need a black Jesus and paint everybody black. Uh, no, what I'm saying is, listen, Jesus has used all types of people in his plan of redemption of all different hues. And we should not make a feature of who we are, our race, the foundation of who we are. Christ is our foundation. But it doesn't mean that whitewashing doesn't need to be confronted. It does need to be confronted. Yeah. But the answer is and always will be the gospel. And so we need to confront this because, again, People are making an eternal decision and we're contributing to that when we continue to present the Christian faith as white. Yeah, that's so good, man. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Southern Baptist, you know, denomination and spent most of my life in, in the local church. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't think it was until probably college or maybe late college, early mm-hmm. ministry years where it really hit me like, oh, Jesus is actually Jewish. Right. And he would have right. all the features of a Middle mm-hmm. Eastern man. 
that I don't possess as a half Hispanic, half, you know, whatever my dad is, uh, white, red hair, all, all those kinds of stuff. And that Jesus is a actual man from Nazareth who is yes. the God man. And he yes. would have all of those features and attributes. And yes. like, that's who we worship. That's exactly. who, that's who we love and that's who follows us and leads us. So I want to give a quick shout out also to, uh, your t-shirts that you're making. And so oh, yeah. Thanks, I, man. I, yeah. I think people may have seen these on social media, but you are making t-shirts that have some of these church fathers and mothers like Athanasius and Augustine and portraying them with, with darker hued skin, uh, rather than the classic kind of Elizabethan era paintings of Augustine and or whatever. So you want to talk right. a little bit about those and yeah. Yeah. So I do think it's important to, uh, also to color correct and to say, listen, we don't know exactly what they look like, but when we look at the markers, um, we don't have these brown images of Calvin, right? And that's fine, right? I'm fine with that. We don't have these brown images of Luther. And that's perfectly fine. I, I, and I know it was later, so I get that argument. I know it was later. But we, 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 we have to stop presenting Northern Africa as Southern Europe. Mm. We, we have to stop doing that, presenting. And so uh, it's I Am Apparel. So you can go to IamApparel.net. And part of the proceeds, uh, when, you, when you purchase, go to our missionaries in Ghana. Uh, we have these missionaries who I talked about earlier. Ten uh, percent of the proceeds go to them. And again, the, the school, we've we already started building the church, the disciples being made there. And so we wanted to just present that. So so yeah. it's an organic way to talk. It's a conversation start. I've had people say, you know, who is Athanasius? I'm glad you asked. Now, you know, I got yeah. this big old uh, brown face and it says Athanasius. But we also have perpetual felicity. I think it's important that we highlight, you know, the, these two women gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, one of them writes in her diary, her dad tried to convince her to denounce God to end her suffering. And she refused. And she wrote that in her diary. And we should we should celebrate, you know, these African believers who believed long before the transatlantic slave trade yeah. um, and that 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 there was Christianity in Africa. We did not meet him on a plantation. But that we knew him before then. And so, so yeah, good. so I am apparel.net. Um, yeah, I, lo- I would love you support that. Uh, help, help us get that message yeah, out. You bet, man. Absolutely. If listeners want to learn more about Perpetua, just Google the martyrdom of Perpetua and you'll be able to find, I'm sure, a PDF or some kind of blog that describes it and, and goes into it more. Amazing story of her faithfulness to, to follow Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Well, Jerome, you mentioned a little earlier how the Christian faith can is often been presented as a, in a monolithic manner. What yeah. effect has that had on, on the church? Do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, so, so it's twofold. Um, so I'll first go with the, the lostness side, right? It, it, it has people on the outside seeing our faith as monolithic, as in favor of one race, namely that race being white people. Now, again, I know this is false. This is false. Uh, but we, we got to realize that there are people when when you present all of the African fathers and mothers as white, when you present Jesus as white, 12 white disciples, white Moses, white prophets, when you have all this imagery, when you put this in your seminaries, when you put this in your your Christian schools, that is communicating something. And so then to come back, and say, oh, skin don't matter. Well, then why did you use it in your favor? If it didn't matter, why not present diverse imagery on the forefront? Right. If it doesn't matter, yeah. it does matter. And so people on the outside are looking in and they're saying, wow, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like it seems like Jesus will save us, but he didn't use anyone that looks like us. So why would I want something that has nothing to do with me? Now, again, this is a this is a bad conclusion. I'm agreeing. It's a terrible conclusion. But again, these are nonbelievers. 
And so we're putting unnecessary barriers. And so when we present it in a monolithic way, you're getting the results of that. The other side is that we we have to realize that the fall can affect us, has affected those of us within the church. And so when you, some of my white brothers and sisters are used to seeing, you know, white, 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 white. Um, some of them may be affected. Again, I don't, I don't want to paint all my brothers and sisters with a broad stroke. I'm not saying that this applies to every single white believer, um, but it does apply to some. And I've had personal experiences in my during my seminary time where they assume that that white theology only comes from, uh, you know, white churches, that all of these African fathers were actually white men, that. Uh, that the, the only way to do this is based on the reform tradition. And there's not much credence given to the fact that orthodoxy was formed prior to the Protestant Reformation. And so when, when you, when you're not aware of these things, you can begin to subconsciously associate, um, hierarchy, uh, sometimes purposely, sometimes again, uh, unintentionally because of all of the imagery and things that you, you've seen. And then obviously the third result is disunity. And so uh, I, I hate to use this word, but obviously, the you, you, you know this, Jeff, CRT, all these talks, CRT, CRT. Yeah. So if you say white, you're a critical race theorist. If you say if you say privilege, you're a critical race theorist. If you talk about now whitewashing, like people are literally judging the book by its cover without yeah. actually reading it. I actually oppose CRT because there's no redemption in it. Um, but 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 I know the, the point of it. So so we see the disunity of presenting the Christian faith in a monolithic way. And people are responded to it. Some in gospel centered ways, many are not when the truth is, all right, if he has torn down those walls, Ephesians two, then we should present how those walls have been torn down in our imagery and who we herald and who we celebrate. And let's celebrate all of those made in his image that have submitted to Yeshua and continue to spread his gospel. Yes. You know, I, I always try to tell, you know, my white brothers and sisters that, you know, you hear them say things and I think that it's well-meaning when they say stuff like, you know, I don't see color. And I just say, that's not helpful because you do see color. That's, that's like actually one of the first things we see about each other. It's, it's like our most, it's our most obvious attribute. Um, you know, our skin is our largest muscle. And so that's our largest attribute. And so we don't have to reject it. We yeah. embrace it. We love it. We celebrate it. We thank God yeah. for how he's created all of us. Um, and so your your book does challenge both kind of the, the popular views that are historically unfounded. That's c- kind of what you're, you're going after. And it also highlights a lot of Africa's contributions to the church, brothers and sisters from, from Africa. So what yeah. are some of these things about which we, especially white Christians or, or maybe Christians who just, you haven't studied a lot of church history that we tend to be ignorant of? Yeah, I think I, I alluded to it. I kind of said earlier that I think one of the first things is that, you know, uh, Northern Africa is in Southern Europe. And so so we need to recognize that just because they they weren't necessarily Bantu speaking as as in West Africa, that doesn't give us the right to paint these African believers as white men and women. Yeah. And that's literally been an argument that I've heard is, well, they weren't Bantu speaking. So that there's usually there's they try to justify painting northern Africa, northern Africa, southern Europe and painting all of these people as white. The second thing is that church history doesn't start at Wittenberg. Um, we, we I celebrate the Protestant Reformation. I yeah. don't want to demean that in any way. I have a chapter called Reform Theology versus Reform Culture. And I pray people will read that and see, uh, you know, Luther got a lot of his uh, orthodoxy from the Ethiopian church. He talks about this, but mm-hmm. we don't highlight this. And so it's, it's, it's like 
All of there's always omissions, it seems like when it comes to Africa, when it comes to Africans, when it comes to their contributions. And so when when that happens, you know, people begin to have questions. So when we do that, you know, we got to realize that it's going to have these uh, deleterious effects on how how people see things and how people see see our faith. Um, I think, you know, orthodoxy isn't a European concept. It's important that we we recognize and that we are uh, aware of that, that you when you talk about. The things that Tertullian came up with, what Athanasius came up with in his writings. A lot of people don't know about Shenouda of a Treep. You know, Shenouda of Treep, another African church father. Um, you, you know, not knowing about these people. Let's, let's look up these names. Let's, let's dig in. I highlight 11 in my book, but there are more that we need to know about. And then, uh, you know, presenting the Christian faith in a monolithic way contributes to lostness. And then the, the last thing I'll say, because, you know, we can keep going on with this, but these are some things we we, we, we got to know is that, you know, when you're celebrating these heroes and and that's fine, um, just just ask yourself, is there diversity within that? Is there diversity within that? I, I, w- I want to celebrate, you know, all of as much of history. As I, I realize I don't know all of it. I'm not going to memorize all of it. I don't have a whole Bible memorized, <laughs> but I, I want to I want to highlight like, hey, let, let's look at these. African church fathers. Let's, let's look at some of these Hispanic theologians and their contribution. Obviously, I've been inundated with white theologians, so that 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 wasn't even an option. And I gladly, I gladly received that. But 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 if if you want to expand, then you have to be intentional about it. And so I, so these are a few few of the things I, I will put out there. And I will say this: doing that doesn't mean that we're deifying race. I already said this earlier, yeah. and I say this in the book: we're not making a feature of who we are. We should never make a feature our race or ethnicity. I know some people reject the idea of race. Uh, we should never make a feature of who we are, the foundation of who we are. And but I would also ask people to really check themselves if if all of your imagery, all of your information, all of your references are monolithic, perhaps you're doing the very thing you're accusing others of. Yeah, that's so good. I I think there is such a a pattern you see of you know some people they only read kind of from their era and Mm -hmm. and they read people kind of that they're around so it'll be a lot of john piper which is great it'll be a lot of you know other great writers and speakers and and people from today but we got always try to encourage people hey go back let's go back further instead of just reading all modern day books let's and let's even go past let's go further than c.s lewis Let's go further back from Calvin. Let's go check out Gregory of Nyssa together. Let's go read the life of St. Macrina. Let, let's, let's think about some of these different things from Athanasius and St. Irenaeus and, and Basil. Mm-hmm. And so just expanding our minds, expanding our view of church history. Well, then, man, history, the Christian faith has started in the Middle East and it went to Northern Africa and went all around the Mediterranean Peninsula and that you see it in the book of Acts, which is just so cool. And, this is why I always say, no, it's it's okay to see color. In the book of Acts, it lists these people involved in the church. Absolutely. That it tells, hey, this guy's from this area, Simon, who's also called Niger. Um, so you got people involved with dark skin early on in the church and praying and sending out Paul and Barnabas. It's such an incredible thing to see. And I, I think you do such a great job, at just already in the podcast, of calling Christians um, to really consider how we think about things. Um, how, how we're processing the faith. And one thing that you said in the book is that we must stop answering fact-based questions hmm. with faith-based answers. And so, so what do you mean by that? Cause I'm sure some people will read that or hear that and go, what? Hold on. Uh, uh, so what, <laughs> yeah. so we must stop answering fact-based questions with faith-based answers. 
Yeah, so that comes after I I have essentially three chapters dedicated to responses to whitewashing. And so the first response was liberation. So I break down liberation theology, uh, a lot of James Cone's books and kind of kind of unpack liberation thought prior to James Cone. The second response is self-hatred. It's called self-hatred, the making of a coon. And coon is an acrostic because that's a very derogatory term. So I made it an acrostic and I explained the history of that term. But then the third response, which is a healthy response, is urban apologetics. And so within urban apologetics, that third response to whitewashing, which is rooted in the gospel, I'm saying that here's some things we got to do as we are engaging lostness. And so what I say, the example I give there in the book is in urban communities, there's this philosophy. Well, how could his name be Jesus if the J wasn't invented yet? And so that's a fact based question, a a question about the letter J, the historicity of the letter J and the etymology of Jesus's name is a fact based question. So this isn't the time to go into, well, I know what he did for me. He's been good. Mm. Praise God. He has been good. But you ain't answered the question. <laughs> answer, <laughs> answer the question. Right. So I'm saying as Christians, if we don't know, say that, please don't make something up. Like we are, if here's one of the things I say, man, we're telling seven billion people, the population of all of Earth, that there's one way and there's one book. We better be able to defend it. Yeah. If we're going to make that audacious claim that there's one way, which I agree with, there's one canon. We're rejecting the apocrypha. We're we're saying all of this. We're saying that there's one way. If we're going to make that claim, we better be able to answer questions. And so that particular one, I talk about Jean Giorgio Tresino, the father of the letter J, how the letter J had more of a Y sound, how they use I in place of what we now call J. And you can look at what's called the tef, the, uh, the table alphabetical, alphabetical spelled with two L's back then. And so I, I want to get into this and say, now, why am I doing all this? Work? I don't care about that because I'm already a believer. But there are non-believers who do. And so as believers, we should care about the mm-hmm. misinformation, the pseudo Google scholarship that that people are using to come to conclusion to reject Jesus. And so don't give a faith based answer to a fact based question. Engage their question. And I tell people all the time, I can defend my faith outside of the Bible because there's tons of Christian history and primary sources of African, European, Asian, Spaniard theologians who believed. And so obviously I'm going to get to the word of God. But if someone asks, asks me a historical question, then. I need to give them a historical answer. So that's what I mean is not just kind of dilute or sidestep someone's question, even their objection, because if we're going to make the claim that there's one way for seven billion people, we need to be able to defend that. Yeah, man, I love that. Great answer and such a great, I think, mind shift for for, for some people. That's so helpful. Well, just like the scriptures and just like the Apostle Paul, you, you echo it and call Christians to respond with truth and love rooted in the gospel. Amen. And I just wonder, you know, as you've been around X29 for uh, many years, how have you seen X29 do this and and how are ways that you think we can continue to grow and do this better? Yeah, I, I would just say just just through, you know, I've been I guess I'm a, almost an A29 vet, man. It's coming up on yeah, 10 years since I've been in in the network. So I've seen the changes in leadership. Um so we I've lived through those different regimes and one of the things I appreciated about Matt Chandler uh, I mess with him, call him Bishop. 
uh, Bishop Chandler, uh, one of the things <laughs> I appreciate is him coming and saying, look, I have these four hopes and one of those hopes being radical diversity and meeting with uh, the ethnic minorities within the group and talking about what are some things we can do. And then I also realized, look, this is not going to happen in two, three, four, five, six, seven years. You have to be committed to change. And it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But I've seen the network be committed to that. I've seen the shifts in leadership. I've seen the, uh, you know, it's having this global focus, but still not being so global that we forget just the mission field right here within the states and being intentional about that. And so seeing the the church planning, seeing the leadership, seeing the diversity, seeing the increase there, seeing how we engage the issues taking place. Racial unrest, social unrest, social justice, um, social justice statements, how, how we're trying to engage this stuff with yeah. a, a, a tenor and a disposition of charity, even when we're mischaracterized and, and Matt is mischaracterized, has been something that has been encouraging. Yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you, man. And I, I know I could tell just from, you know, learning about you and and seeing your work that you're passionate about training and supporting urban church planners and gospel ministers. And so is X29 and Doug Logan. And we have our X29, you know, urban initiatives, um, church in hard places. Um, Guys, we got to see that theological training is so important in, in the church. So for you, Jerome, what, what difference do you think solid theologically focused and gospel rooted training makes to race relations in the church? Yeah, if 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 we're starting there, it gives us the the right and the only foundation. So um, and, and that's why I keep saying this phrase. We can't make a feature of who we are, the foundation. So the the foundation of our identity is found in Genesis 1, 26, 27, the Imago Dei. Right. The Imago Dei being created in God's image. Yeah. Um, the opposite of Imago Dei is known as Imago Sui. And it's this idea of starting within. It's more esoteric. We don't start there. We start outside of ourselves with the one who has created us and having that to be the theological foundation from which we build our identity. Then that changes how we engage. So if if I'm operating from that perspective, even when we disagree, we want to do so charitably. Mm. Even when we don't see eye to eye, we want to do so charitably. Even when you mischaracterize me as much as I may want to get you back. I want to and I, we need to correct and check each other, uh, but we want to do it in a way that that honors him. And so if our foundation is the gospel and his word and the canon of scripture, then that has given us the answers we need on how. Now, it doesn't necessarily address every single topic, but it gives us a blueprint and a framework of how to engage each other. And so I think that's what's going to help us. One of the things I, I say in the book is we have to think of race in a spectrum. And not in a binary way. Mm. And so what I what I talk about is as opposed to either just going immediately to racism, we need to think through the first category is racial ignorance. We don't know. The second category is racial indifference. We don't care. Racial insensitivity is when you could care less. But then there's racism, which is willful hatred. If Mm. we can begin to look at that spectrum and what, what led me to write that? Well, it's wanting to understand and not immediately throw somebody who's in the ignorant category into the racist category yeah. when, when when it could be they, they they genuinely don't know. And so rather than saying, well, you don't know you're this charity tells me, well, let, let me think through this in a different way. Maybe I can. God can use me to provide something helpful for people to think through a spectrum 
as opposed to immediately labeling someone who could genuinely want to know and want to learn. But now you just cut them off because you've thrown them in a hateful category when that wasn't even their intent. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's like, there's so much work that we need to continue to do on our hearts and our souls and our minds just to, I think, biblically and and properly think about some of this stuff. Like, I remember, you know, I serve in a predominantly white uh, area of Houston and and I was talking to some people one time and I just told them, I, I think if the first mind shift that we could make here is if we would stop seeing white as the default and mm-hmm. everything else as the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else mm-hmm. that's kind of on that, like we're really the way you kind of articulated uh, race as a spectrum there. I think we articulate skin color and all that as yep. a spectrum. Like it's not white and everything else. Exactly. Um, and I was talking to one brother and I told him, I was like, do you like the phrase person of color, people of color? Cause to me, it almost kind of embeds into it. Well, white's the default. Everybody else is people of color. And he was like, yeah, I see what you're saying. He's like, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of it. We got there's just language and all these things that we got to grow and continue to walk into. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and, and I think that's that's that again. I, I addressed that in the book as well. Is that we see white as universal, and and with that you see white culture as universal, but but worse, you see it as normal. And so when you see it as normal, other cultural expressions are seen as wrong sometimes. Yeah, and this even happened in our scholarship. I'm putting that in quotes. Where I don't go too much into this, but Dr. Bantu does in his book Gospel Hamanote where the language barriers of African Christians were seen as heresy when they just didn't know how they communicated and worship God was just different than their European counterparts. Mm. And so the same thing begins to happen now. And that's why I write reform theology. For the most part, black folk don't have an issue with the theology. It's the culture that sometimes right. accompanies it, the culture imperialism that says this way, which may be seen as a white way, is the right way. And so if your worship is too passionate, then your style and no substance It's like, well, or if you're passionate and you, you know, you're angry instead of passionate, it's like, well, well hold up. They, these are just different culture expressions. Now, no one gets a pass for bad doctrine. That's fair game. Yeah. You should yeah. criticize that. But there are culture expressions that are just different and they're not right or wrong. They're neutral. They're neutral. And you may see this here and you may see something different there. Let's celebrate that. Let's stop presenting your cultural dynamics as the only way to express or to do things. Yeah. And just like to think about our present day moment right now, Christians gathering all around the world, all have different ways of worshiping, singing, the preaching's different. You know, our book is the same doctrine. But then you go, all right, well, if I just not even think about 2021, but let's think about the fifth century. And what their gatherings <laughs> right, looked right, like, you know, right, how they do baptism. Right. Like I saw one of my one of my professors in my PhD program. He had posted a picture recently of a baptismal pool uh, mm. from golly, what country was it? I, I can't remember. It was uh, near the Middle East. It was beautiful. It had a nice mosaic tile on the edge. Like how much they valued that. And I just thought they would probably be appalled if they saw our horse trough that we used to, to, to <laughs> baptize people in. But, you know, like that was their cultural expression and their art. And we, you know, we, it's just different times. One's not worse or better than the other. It's just different. And I, I, we just got to be comfortable with different. And, and growth. Cause you know, some of them remember some of them, they used to baptize people in the nude. Yep. 
Yeah, we can't do that now. Can't do that now. No, we can't do that. And so, like, we, we one of the things that. that we do at Risen Church is we try to, yeah. you know, take some of the early church practices of baptism. And I remember yeah. reading that they gave every person that was baptized, they gave them milk and honey afterwards. Wow! As a, as a way to symbolize, you are now in the land flowing with milk and honey. Dope. Wow. And so, so we said That's we dope. should do that. So we give out baptism certificates and then we give them a jar of fresh honey from the farmer's market. We haven't figured out how to do milk yet. Cause it's like, what are we going to do? Give you a gallon of milk to hold this gallon hey, of milk man, for two hours. You know, you know, I, I, I caught your bougie. Now you got to give him some almond milk. <laughs> <laughs> do some oat milk, some cashew milk. I guess we could give yeah. him like some like coffee creamer. There you go. Here you yeah, go. This won't, yeah. this won't spoil yeah, our like outdoor that, baptism service. I like that. That's dope. Well, Jerome, we'll do our final three questions. It's a great day. Cool, this, this is how we end every X-29 podcast. Well, what's a great book you've read recently that you'd want to recommend? All right, man. Two. I'm sorry. I got to do two. Lead do by Paul Tripp and Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes by E. Randolph Richards. Oh, those, those are, are two both books. so good. Yeah. 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 I, I want to give. I've only read parts of Lead. It's it's great. But I, I just read uh, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes recently. And the part of the honor shame cultures and how he how he talks about how um you know in the early early church in that era in the area of the world too that they would have so hated pigs and thought they would have viewed them like we view cockroaches yeah and, and so like when we make when pastors and preachers and Bible study leaders or whatever we make the joke you know of course well, why wouldn't you eat pig haven't you ever had bacon you know like yeah that's a funny joke to us. But that's our Western eyes looking exactly. at it. Like yep. they viewed it as yeah. cockroaches. Um, like even if you told me, man, cockroaches are so delicious. You have to eat them. I'd be like, Jerome, it's not happening, man. I right. can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. It, unless it's fear fact, then you can win 50 grand. People ain't. <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll do <laughs> that. Not All right. What's your go-to order in a coffee shop? So I'm not a coffee guy, man. So, uh, are you tea? I'll, yeah, so I'd say uh, green matcha tea. Okay. Ooh, green matcha tea. Yeah, okay. green matcha all right. tea. All right, what's your what's your favorite verse in the scripture? Man. Just one you go to all the time. And Luke 9.62, and Jesus said to them, he who puts his hands for the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. And it's just a reminder, man, that, you know, plowing this life, going to have ups and downs. Uh, the Lord led me to uh, post yesterday um, I said pastoral leadership involves proximity. This proximity means that the people you lead will sometimes uh, accuse, hurt and mischaracterize you. Sometimes their their claims will be justified and sometimes they won't. But love them anyway. And and, and I put because God chooses the flock, not you. Mm-hmm. And so for me as a pastor, 10 years, man, I got stories. I got yeah. scars. But I'm going to keep my hand to the plow because God has given me a title I don't deserve, and that's son. And so as a result of that, justification by grace and through faith, I'm going to keep my hand to the plow. Amen. Amen. What a great word to end on, to keep our hands to the plow, keep going forward, that we will not grow weary and doing good. Yes, sir. Well, Jerome, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, brother. It's been great just to, to chat, and I hope this conversation, I know it will, I know it will encourage a lot of people. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
And listeners, thank you for tuning in to the X29 podcast today. Be sure to leave a review there in your podcast app or there on Spotify. And we hope to see you uh, at our upcoming events. And we would love to hear from you on social media. So tag us at X29 and at X29 family on Instagram. And remember, brothers and sisters, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.